Mike, in the first podcast of this series, you, you talked about starting to paint. And uh, I've read a story about you that was in Backdrop Magazine a while back, and uh, you talked about why you started painting. But maybe you could just tell that story again for the people listening to this. I've always loved art. Uh, I was one of those kids that did a lot of drawings with crayon and so on. And um, I had uh, painted a little bit when I was in junior high school um, in a medium um, that, that's acrylic. And um, acrylic paint is, is very um, hard-edged. It dries really fast. And, and when it, it dries, it's hard. You can't really um, damage the paint. Um, and I enjoyed that, but um, I, I gave it up, you know, when I went on to high school and college and so on. Now, when I got cancer, it had been a long time since I had done any painting, uh, decades. And uh, Carolyn discovered me uh, on the, the, the upper back porch one night, um, just uh, wrapped in blankets and looking up at the stars. And uh, this was part of my being uh, depressed, not only from having the, the cancer that can't be cured, but also uh, from having cancer um, drugs, chemotherapy, that was making me absolutely miserable. You know, living was difficult. Well, I, I told that story earlier, but um, one of the outcomes of this was Carolyn recognized my depression, and she was able to get some good advice on how to bring me out of it. So um, part of that, the, the, the parts other than the painting were um, get, get some counseling and, and think about some medications. I did both. But the big part, to me at least, is uh, painting. She thought, my wife Carolyn thought it would be good if uh, I had some place to or my creative energy. And um, so it was about a month before my birthday. My birthday's in November, so. In, in October, she went out and she talked to the late uh, Pat Westfall, um, faculty member at, at the Scripps School, and, and a very good artist. And uh, so Carolyn said to Pat, well, what, what kind of art medium should we be talking about, you know? Uh, if I was going to get him something to paint with, what, what, would, what would the medium that would be right for him? And she says, well, what, what paintings does he like to look at? And she knew right away that I, I like the French Impressionists. And so uh, that is uh, that's what she told her. And, and uh, Pat said, uh, you you should get them some uh, pastel sticks. They're they're uh, so easy to blend, and they they have a the feeling of um, you know, a Monet or uh, uh, a Manet on a on a summer afternoon in Paris. So um, Carolyn surprised me before my birthday. Could wait, uh, <laughs> and uh, 
she gave me um, a starter set of, a, I want to say, 25, 50, something like that, pastels. And uh, I tore through those in a hurry and, and very quickly became addicted to, to painting with this, this wonderful soft medium. What was your first thought when you opened the package and saw these pastels? <laughs> I was delighted, first of all, that she had thought of something very specific from my past and thought I might like to revisit it in a new way, a new medium. But uh, I was also thrilled that, uh, that Pat was right. This was, I just knew looking, these were going to be fun. <laughs> and um, they have been and they are. I know that all of your Facebook friends have seen many of these paintings, and we'll talk about some of the paintings in a moment, but I, I want to ask you more of a metaphysical question to kind of move away from just the act of painting, but really the act of creation and creating. Where, where do you think that urge comes from for everyone, including you? Wow. <laughs> the first thing I thought of was Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of needs because, of course, I think I had it in four or five classes as an undergraduate. If you look at what Maslow put in his hierarchy, you know, the, the very tip top, once you've had all your needs of air and water and shelter and food and companionship and you know, so on, once you've had all those met, you know, if you're at time later on, you, you want to express yourself. And that's the top of the pyramid. Uh, Self-actualization. So if that's true, then th it seems to me that, that art is sort of a goal that we're all working toward. We all have a bit of the artist inside us, and we're looking for ways to let it out and express ourselves with something that's some combination of the personal and the universal. There must be something that's hardwired into humanity that, that uh, responds, first of all, to beauty in all its forms, in art, in literature, and music, and so on. Not only responds to it, but then uh, wants to get back, wants to, <laughs> wants to do their little part. I'll give you my brother Rick. <laughs> who is two and a half years older than me. He's an introvert all his life. And when he is in the last few years of his work, which is right now, he's had a lot of, uh, a lot of difficulties placed on his plate. Uh, and I won't go into them, but man, he's with all this stuff on his mind and all these arguments and you know problems and, that he's got to work out, he still finds time to uh, get up in front of uh, a group of people every week. It's Friday evening. He plays his guitar and he sings as part of a, a particular worship service. And I'm thinking to myself, Rick, Rick plays guitar? Rick sings? He sort of was drafted into it because there are not a lot of people available for this service. So uh, he gets a taste of it, like, you know, like me with teaching, and he goes, I need to do this more. 
And so uh, he, he starts taking lessons and he starts playing regularly. And then he starts writing little bits. <laughs> I thought, goodness sakes, I would never have thought it, but you're a good musician. <laughs> and uh, of course, this is like something he's picked up in the last, I don't know, 10 years or so. It took him a while to get there. There's a seed planted deep in Rick when he was young that took a long time to bloom. And there's this seed of, of creativity in, in all of us. I know it. it just, you have to figure out where to let it out. When you're painting, are you thinking about what it should look like when it's done before you even start? Or does it kind of evolve in your mind's eye depending on how things develop on the on the medium there's more than one way to answer this so um, let me see if I can figure out myself <laughs> the answer for myself and then and then share when I uh, uh, see something that for whatever reason it's it's well composed it's well lit uh, the colors bounce and snap when, when I see something I'll sometimes say wow that's paintable and I'll take a picture of it. Uh, and, uh, you know, I don't have my, my sketch box with me or whatever. I have to take work from photographs. So there's something in me that recognizes a mood or um, a placid scene, something that people will react to. And first of all, me being person number one, I kind of feel like if, if I like it and it delights me, it, it probably will delight other people. So anyway, I get back to my studio with these photographs. I say, well, okay, well, what, what do I want to emphasize here? And, and so here you have a balance between, do I want to do a, a totally representative painting that looks like a photograph, or do I want to do something that allows me to uh, play with light and color and can I move things around? Um, sure. So um, the act of creation, uh, you know, if it begins with, with this thing that it's, that's, I say that's paintable. When I actually get down to doing painting, there are, uh, <laughs> there are arguments going on in my head all the time. Is it, is it that color or that color? No, that's not right. Go back, you idiot. Uh, the, the creative discussion in my brain is, it takes up so many neurons that I don't think of anything else. You know, I, I certainly don't think about lesson plans or, or, or cancer. You've got part of me that says, I, I want to paint a painting that you'll recognize. You know, if I paint a bus, I want you to go, oh, that's a bus. <laughs> but part of me lights in the little tricks sometimes of light and color that you get from the Impressionist period uh, artists in France. So I have to have a little bit of fun when I'm painting. I know that many of your paintings now live in the living rooms and in our case a, a bathroom in other people's case a den or a bedroom uh, how many paintings would you estimate you have given away at this point wow um i i think i've probably given away 50 um, paintings ranging from a uh, little eight eight and a half by 11 portraits up to, um, oh goodness, uh, two and a half by three and a half feet. I, I give them away to uh, people who I think might take joy in them. Often uh, 
I'll uh, be talking with someone on a, a video chat or um, a Zoom or something like that. I'll see one of the, my paintings hanging <laughs> behind the person I'm talking to. And uh, that gives me a great joy. <laughs> you know, I, I've got so many paintings, Bob. I, I counted them up, uh, I don't know, a couple months ago. And they were between 400 and 500 because I'd given so many away. I, I didn't you know, document all those. Um so I got so many. I, I, I know that uh, I need to find homes for a lot of these, and, and probably soon, because uh, I don't want to swamp Carolyn with, here, here's 350 paintings, dear. We need to, we need to talk, you know, pairing people up with, with, uh, with paintings. Well, for the record, we enjoy our four wonderfully framed paintings. They are an important part of our decor and a, a constant reminder of your talent. I would encourage other people to reach out to you if they if they see one they like because I know just from our conversations that it gives you a lot of pleasure and joy that other people are enjoying them. I'll post most of my paintings one at a time on Facebook and just throw them out there for comment. And um, sometimes the comments are just extremely effusive They're, and, and, and delightful. And I'm, you know, I'm getting, you know, just smothered with <laughs> hugs and kisses, if you will. That's good feedback, but then you know there'll be something specific that I'll paint, like my grandfather's farm, and I'll post that out there, and and that'll have my cousins commenting pretty soon. You know they'll they'll see that and say something, or you know I'll, I'll do a portrait of my grandfather and a, another portrait of my grandmother. The two farmers who lived their lives in northeast Kansas didn't have much money. These kinds of paintings where I can um, connect personally with the past. <laughs> I don't know what you can say about that other than uh, I feel more deeply connected to my roots uh, through these paintings. I've noticed with many of your paintings that you post online, you will reference what music you are listening to as you painted it. And I'm wondering if you could explain a little bit about the relationship between the music choice and the painting you're working on and, and the degree to which, if at all, the, the music you think influences how you paint. There is a relationship between the music that I choose and the way that I paint, <laughs> but I, I'm sure I can't express it. It's more from the heart than the head. Um, but in general, if I want to paint something that's going to um, hopefully create a placid mood in your mind, I want something that's placid music, you know. So I'll play um, uh, Debussy's uh, La Mer, The Ocean, and which, if you haven't heard it before, you go out and play it, first of all. But it's it's just the sound of uh, waves going back and forth in, in orchestral uh, tones, of course. My most energetic response to music is when I hear the B-52s. And I know it's kind of funny, you know, oh, he's a 62-year-old white man. He likes to be, yes, I do. I've loved them for many years. So that's when I get to get up and, you know, go crazy. If I want to have a little more uh, energy in, in, uh, in, in the, the strokes of, of the uh, pastels. And I do play classical music. I play jazz. Uh, I play rhythm and blues. I did a... Um, portrait of a couple of artists from the time when I was growing up. I did them in various colors just to match the mood. 
So I, I did, yeah, I did a Joni Mitchell in blue and had a lot of fun with that. I guess if I'm going to pay Joni Mitchell, I should have Joni Mitchell on, but I'm not sure that was the case. <laughs> Are there times when you just don't feel like painting and you do it anyway, or, or do you save painting for the times when you really feel like it? Uh, yes, my health has affected my ability to paint. If you count the number of days between posts of my paintings, you'll find that uh, over the last few weeks, it's they become fewer and far between. Uh, and, and most of that is my health. Uh, I just don't feel um, able to concentrate on what I want to do with enough energy to block out the pain. So I don't paint. I could get really heavily medicated, but I don't know if I want to paint like, like that or not. So uh, I just sort of wait, I think, for when am I, I'm feeling that I am up to it and I'm feeling also inspired because it's a lot of energy just for me to climb the stairs anymore. I think the rest of the, uh, the, the reason that I'm not painting as much perhaps is um, the classes that I'm teaching that I'm, I'm finishing up uh, you know, in my in my last semester, uh, they take a lot more energy out of me than they used to, and you know, with the grading and uh, and and all that, that I have to rest. Uh, you know, a after doing each class, and so that takes a lot of time out from my possible schedule for painting. Do you ever dream of painting? <laughs> um, yes. I don't dream of painting very often, but uh, I don't know, about a year ago maybe, I dreamed of uh, Bastet, a cat god of ancient Egypt. And uh, I dreamed of an image of Bastet that I'd never seen before, and it was in the style of my painting. And this is before I was really heavily medicated, by the way. This just came to me. It's not like, woo! <laughs> maybe, I don't know, maybe it is woo. It's, it's a strange story. This image of Bastet, um, very regal statue um, with, you know, urns beside him burning hot coals. Uh, you, you know, you get a picture like that in your, in your own style of painting. Um, you wake up, you got to paint it. Otherwise, I guess the cat god will squash you. <laughs> <laughs> I gave you the picture, dude. Don't paint it. <laughs> So uh, it, I do sometimes interact with painting and, and artwork in my dreams. And of course, in my dreams, I'm a better painter than I am. Who are some of the painters who, if, if you're kind of stuck, do you ever go and, and seek out some of the paintings by your favorites to see if you can be inspired? Or Oh, yeah. I love to. Okay. So <clears throat> I don't want to do the same thing over and over and over again. No artist does. So... Uh, after my, you know, 45th can of Campbell's tomato soup, I said, <laughs> I'm, I need to break. Uh, and, and what I did was I, I tried to imitate the style of some other painters. So I think I started off with uh, Georges Seurat, who did uh, Sunday on the Isle of the Grand Jatte uh, in Paris. So there's an island in the middle of the Seine River. And people are walking along in fine clothes, and there's a dog romping, and you see the water. Well, he did this with dots. Uh, it's a process called pixelation. So I tried to do a pixelated dot picture, a Surat picture. <laughs> I like that. It rhymes. 
Um, I, I tried to do a, a, a Surratt-style picture of this lake in Utah, and I, I thought it turned out pretty good. And then I tried to do a, a Van Gogh. I was at a clinic waiting to get some work done, and I had an hour to kill. And they had three Van Gogh paintings on the wall. And I said, I'm going to spend a huge chunk of this hour figuring out how he did it. <laughs> and so I picked up a couple tricks from really looking at his paintings. And I went home and I did a landscape as if I were Van Gogh. Like, wee! And I did another one as Cezanne. And that's about where I quit. <laughs> Don't go past Cezanne. You know, madness lies there, I guess. Uh, here, here demons be. <laughs> but who knows, maybe I'll be a Klimt or a, a Matisse fan someday. You mentioned spending an hour looking and sort of deconstructing Van Gogh. And, and I read in this backdrop article that you said a painting often takes you about two hours. And if you spend more time on it, it doesn't always turn out better. So what is your your allowance for time and when do you know it's done a painting is done that's evolved uh, over the, the years as i painted i sometimes say to myself this needs more attention this is more of a precise painting and uh, that that window will grow uh, and other times because of the medium you know i can i can slap some colors together and, and, and mute them or blend them or whatever, uh, highlight them, I can I can make a pretty decent painting. I, well, the outline of a pretty decent painting pretty darn quick. And that's, you know, how much do you want to fill it in? So there's that. Uh, and then you also have to realize that I'm painting almost exclusively on a very heavy paper. Some of the paintings, they're, they're you know, eight and a half by 11. Some, I think they're getting up to... 12 and a half by 18 and a half, something like that. But it's not like I'm painting the wall <laughs> of a room. Once I get it blocked out, my brain just sort of goes on autopilot. You know, you pick through the colors until you, you get the one you know is the exact one you want. And then, you know, how do, how do I apply it? What's the best way? How do I blend it with the color next to it? Or do I want a sharp edge? And, oh, what's the color that's right in front of it? What, what's that need to be that's going to help bring both colors out? Blah, 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 blah. Um, these questions are never said out loud like that. <laughs> They're all processed somewhere deep in the back of the head. Um, well, I think that's where I am now. Perhaps if you had asked this question about uh, you know, putting together a, a painting and getting involved in it and, you know, just having it fill your head. You know, maybe when I was starting out, if I hadn't painted before, I'd say those questions. Okay, you know, in my head, I'd hear them, you know. Okay, in my voice. Yeah, well, uh, you need to put the uh, the focal point um, on one of the thirds. Okay, rule of thirds, got that. Yeah, yeah. I, it's like the game of golf. Uh, I could list all the rules of you know making a great a great painting, and when you're starting out, you got to read all. You follow the rules, follow the rules, follow the rules, and you do this ten thousand hours. <laughs> I think that's the number that's going around now, and you're you're an expert on it. You know you don't even need to think about it. You're just going to do it. You know, but then when I'm all done, you know I, I kind of uh, walk away, and sometimes a day or two later I come back and and. Some part of my brain to sleep, you know, has been mulling that, no, that's not the right color, or no, you need to get rid of that and put that in and, and all of that. I'm not all that fussy. 
I'm not counting blades of grass <laughs> uh, um, or, or leaves on trees most of the time. I will if that's what it's called for in the painting, but what I'm getting at is, like the Impressionists and the post-romantics, I want to make a, a pop, an impression on you. What's the mood of the painting, and do you just get it, and maybe not know why? One of the topics or subject matters I've noticed fairly often in your painting are scenes from Utah. And I wonder if you could just finish this painting topic by talking a little bit about how those scenes serve as inspiration for you. Oh my goodness, Utah is such a beautiful state and so few people know it because they see Salt Lake City and then they go up and maybe ski or they go down to the canyons. But uh, Utah, it has all of the, the, the wonders. You know, it's got beautiful mountains. It's great for skiing. Uh, the wildlife is uh, amazing. Um, you know, they've got buffalo. They've got cougar. Uh, they've got giant red rocks, you know, like a John Wayne movie. It's so amazing. But what I notice is that it's got fantastic light. I've never seen light like Utah's anywhere else. It might be in Delft in the Netherlands, uh, you know, where Vermeer painted, because you get a quality of light in his paintings that you don't, of, of, on that spot, that you don't get it anywhere else, you know, such atmospherics. But the light is subtle. It's pearly. There's a little bit of luminescence to it. It's tenderly soft. And in the wintertime, it's a neutral. But in the summertime, it's very warm. And so uh, what you see a lot in Utah is a contrast between warm and cool colors. You know, those, the red rocks of the mountains and, uh, you know, the, the black and green uh, bodies of evergreen trees or, you know, the Colorado River behind it. Snow-covered mountains above a beautiful valley. You can probably just sit and over the course of 24 hours just turn your camera on and, and you know, peek in every hour. And the same scene will be lit differently. It'll have a different mood than the one before it, the one after it. The light of Utah, literally, not metaphorically, <laughs> has, has poured into my soul. <laughs> well, there may be some overlap between those two aspects of light. Thank you, Mike. I've appreciated your art, and I think people will enjoy your paintings for many years and decades to come. 